Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse for episode 68, Mutants or Mutants. I am the apocalypse nerd. He is Adam Baum Glancy. Greetings. And special co-host uh, today is a familiar face. We haven't had Will on in a while. William T. Thrasher from uh, The Infinity Live, The uh, Infinity, um, uh, kettle of fish, all kinds of stuff. He's a game designer. He's a writer. He's an artist. Um, Will, hello, hello, fellow humans. Humans? Oh, wait, human. Are you a human? Then you should have uh, the human button that uh, <laughs> that I got from my uh, demo for the thing at Gen Con. So, uh... well, that hardly counts. That's that's an alien. That's aliens, not mutants. We're here about mutants. Well, there could be mutant aliens. And I prefer the I prefer the pronunciation mutant. Mutant. On on the grounds that the guys at uh, the guys at um, uh, this island Earth were the ones who originally came did that mutant thing, and I, that is <laughs> that has remained hilarious ever since. Well, we need to call this creature something. What's well, a mutant? Nah, that doesn't sell it. Let's let's call it a mutant. And it's a, you know, it just it's it's, it's, yet, it's it sounds more southern. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's southern. the one thing everyone remembers from that movie. Yes. Mutants, mutants. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about mutants today, folks. We're going to just kind of uh, just a general again general topic discussion. We're going to talk about you know. What are mutants? What do we feel mutants are? Uh, maybe some historical origins of mutants in you know movies, films, books, games. So just a, again, a broad general topic about mutants. Um, and again, thank we you. We're talking about post-apocalyptic mutants. Yes, we are talking about post-apocalyptic mutants. We're not talking about the guys not the Circle K. So, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> or the Circle okay. X. Yeah, yeah, or the Circle X. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, no, I, I was going down a path that I'm stopping. Um, so uh, again, thank you for joining us, Will. We haven't had Will on in a while, but we haven't done a lot of shows this last year. Uh, but Will's a uh, a friend of the show. He's a friend of the apocalypse. We love having Will on. Will always brings a lot to the table. So uh, we're going to talk about mutants, thank but uh, no, no, it's uh, we always appreciate having you on. Now, a uh, couple of. Uh, a couple things I just want to bring up before we start the topic. Um, people may see that I posted a new transmission from the bunker. And from the transmission from the bunker, I announced the contest. The contest that I talked about in um, episode 65 uh, when we talked about uh, shift. So uh, the contest is posted. So um, I'm not going to go into it. Just go to the video on YouTube or look at it on the blog. You'll see all the details of, of the contest. To win your copy of and Andre Nort's No Night Without Stars. So basically, you, you folks got two weeks to do it. All the details are, are in the transmission from the bunker video. So that has been posted. Also, I did a little catch up work finally. Uh, the last four issues of the um, or episode of the podcast, um, I've been behind on uh, getting the audio posted to the blog and, you know, in sync with iTunes. That's been done, so we're all caught up with that. Now, uh, one of the earlier videos, I had to do some uh, editing. I don't normally like to edit, but I had to because it was episode 64 when Scott was here, 
and we recorded and we lost the two for the first two minutes and 34 seconds of audio. There was no audio. It was just two talking heads going like this and we didn't hear anything. So I basically downloaded the video, did an intro, chopped it, put it in the front so we didn't have a, so much dead air. So all that's been fixed. All the audio is up. So uh, we're all caught up on that stuff. So everybody could, you know, get their fill of the apocalypse. Now, uh, a couple of things uh, in the news uh, that, I, that uh, I got going on here. Uh, a couple of things I talked to Scott about last week. I saw a couple of, um, well, movie and a TV thing that, are, that was apocalyptic that I found interesting. Number one, I saw that, I think it was TNT is going to be producing a Snowpiercer TV show. Which could be interesting, but my what piques my interest about it is like, well, are we going to continue from the point of the movie? Because I think they kind of pretty much settled settled up everything, or are they going to take it back to like maybe when it happens and build up from there and do like the slow build? You know, even though we know what happens, you know, you know, because we went from the front to the back of the train. You know, maybe they'll start with the when the apocalypse happens, what happens, because they're on there for a long time. So I don't know any details about it, but. Yeah, how long can you drag out? How many seasons can you drag out the trip from the back of the train to the front of the train? Well, That seems dubious. There's a couple of ways. Uh, what if they have to go back to the back of the train after they get to the front? And then back and forth, and then back and forth, and then maybe on season eight. Oh, my God. Also, flashbacks, flash forwards, learning about the lore of the train, how it got built, how it got started. And, and of course, for, for all we know, the train will randomly stop at settlements, and nobody knows when the train's going to leave. Wow. All right. Uh, you've written a better – you've clearly written a better um, a, a series Bible than I oh, expect. Thank you. Uh, these other guys are, go are going to write. But all right, I will at least be there for the pilot before I um, <laughs> engage my nerd rage and, uh, and grump about it. Yes, we, uh, we're all good at doing that. So, well, some Very of us are. Not for Will. Will's, Will's the nice guy. Will's is always positive, doesn't get mad at anything. You know, so that's why I like having him on because he's a good counterbalance to our grognardiness. So... <laughs> <laughs> It, you know, it creates an effective triad. Yeah. It does. It's like well, like, like I'm, uh, you know, like I, I'm his uh, his other Mike. You know, so you know, I know my, uh, I know my, me and Mike align a lot with with stuff. So, and for those who don't know, it's uh, Mike Verhola. Mike Verhola, the Scrimmershow Publishing, the Infinity Live. Mike's been a guest on the show uh, many times as well. So, um, so Snowpiercer. And then I saw something interesting because Scott wasn't familiar with it, but are you familiar with the movie, uh, the movie Boyhood, Will? I I have not seen it, but I, I I know the twist ending of that movie. But you know the concept of the guy filmed it over years oh, uh, as the child grew up, like the life of the child. He is doing a film called Feral. It's a post-apocalyptic kind of like a post-apocalyptic version of um, childhood. Or child, oh, yeah. yeah. Boyhood, boyhood, yeah. It's a, it's like it's called Feral. It's a post-apocalyptic version of Boyhood. Like, there's an apocalypse. There's this kid, young kid. This woman like kind of takes him under because he's kind of feral. Takes him under her wings, and and he kind of grows up. I think they filmed the first film and possibly the second film. So I'd be curious to see what that's all about. Hmm. So interesting. Um, what else did I have going on? Oh, 
uh, just I didn't really get into it, but because um, we haven't talked since Christmas, is I did get my uh, copy of the Fantasy Flight uh, Fallout board game. So I haven't uh, I haven't delved nice. into I haven't delved into it yet, but I do I have it. It's on the shelf. Well, it's on the desk now, but I do have it. So that that is on my short list of games to check out this year. Yeah, uh, I did a demo of it at Gen Con. I liked it. It also has solo play, uh, so I like that concept as well. So, uh, so I got that, and then I posted about the other day. I got a I got a Kickstarter in uh, a card game with tiles uh, called Maximum Apocalypse, and it's a pretty. You know, it's got. A, uh, pop this open here. I'll do more about it, but it's a. Uh, it's a card game with tiles, uh, you know, resources. It, it seemed pretty interesting. It's got some um, solo play as well. Uh, good quality game. Um, again, haven't delved into it yet. Just got it uh, a couple days ago. Um, I'm gonna, I want to reach out because I, I saw the guy briefly. I got his card at Gen Con. I want to reach out to the guy, see if we could get him on the podcast, uh, talk about his game Maximum Apocalypse. Cool. So I got all kinds of po- both all kinds of post-apocalyptic games going on, and then. I'm going to do a little self-promotion for uh, for me and Will, just because we haven't talked about it in a while, is uh, uh, myself and Will worked on a little card game together. Um, I was the, uh, well, I guess I was the designer, the idea man. Will was basically my um, artist, art director, and um, editor. <laughs> so... Um, we did it. We did just a a, ver- a variant of. I'm sure if you're a gamer, you're familiar with. Uh, Are you a werewolf? We did a, a little card game called Are You a Mutant or Mutant? So, uh, basically, just the post-apocalyptic version of uh, Are You a Werewolf? All self-contained. It's a print-on-demand uh, card game from uh, Drive Through Cards. Uh, the quality of the cards is excellent. So. No worries there. It's like uh, it's five bucks. It's cheap. It's uh, you know it's, it's it's a little card game, but you know if you like werewolf and you like the apocalypse, it could be a fun little game. Um, it's on drive through, uh, drive through cards. It is uh, not under podcast again ground zero. It's under my uh, my uh, my business uh, Dagon Industries, but if you just go to DagonGames.com, so D A G O N Games.com. That'll take you to the page where I have uh, my card games on there. So uh, if you want to, you know, give Will and uh, myself some love by picking up a copy of Are You a Mutant, we'd uh, we'd appreciate that. So so that's all I got for us to, to, uh, today before we uh, get into the topic of mutants. So now when we pre-show, uh, we were talking about it, and Scott brought up an interesting point. Of what he saw, and I kind of agree with him. One of the early incidents of mutants in a, an apocalyptic uh, a setting, fiction. Scott, would you like to tell the audience about that? Oh, yeah. It just suddenly occurred to me that um, one of the uh, oldest stories I can think of is H.G. Uh, Wells' Time Machine, where we're introduced to, although it's, I guess it's, I guess it's technically not. Um, Mutants exactly because they're they are the the descendants of people who lived in fallout shelters, I guess, uh, uh, massive underground fallout shelters, and have survived a civilization-ending war. Um, are the Morlocks the sort of uh, albino, uh, you know, sensitive to light cannibals 
uh, that uh, dwell underneath uh, the world of H.G. Uh, Wells's future um, and who sort of, uh, I guess, uh, free-range farm the Eloy, the supposedly human-looking, almost childlike, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who live on the surface, which is weird. You'd think the mutants would be on the surface. The more, the less human ones would be on the surface because they've spent all their time up there with the fallout and the radiation or something. But um, the ones in the but the ones in the ground, they're the ones with the bad eyes and the pale skin and the, the hairy arms and the eating each other. I, maybe they became mutants because they ate human flesh. That's that's a typical trope. Will? Well, remember, in uh, so the Time Machine came out in uh, 1895, so that's over a century of mutants in science fiction. But remember, in the in the George Powell movie, uh, the the apocalypse was caused by uh, a nuclear war. But in the novel, uh, the apocalypse was caused by just a general societal collapse. And in the novel, there's a bit more context for why the surface dwellers are sort of gorgeous and childlike, and the Morlocks are uh, hideous, hideous troglodytes. Uh, and that's I don't, rem I don't remember that at all. I think I read that. I think I read Time Machine in junior high. Um, what do you remember? What the reasons were that uh, that the Morlocks were more less were more inhuman. Well, the, the main the main reason is it's at some point you know between when the the time traveler first left and and uh, and the the big collapse uh, is that society got really really stratified and so the the Morlocks are descended from all the factory workers who were made to live in these polluted underground ghettos where they spent all their time maintaining and operating machines to support the, the people who had all the good real estate on the surface, who were the idle rich, who didn't really have skills to survive the societal collapse, which is why they ended up becoming food for the Morlocks. Uh, there was nobody to okay, operate the so, farms. So, so the Morlocks are, the Morlocks are commies? Uh, are they, are they, have they seized the means of production and overthrown their, their, their uh, bourgeois oppressors and literally eat the rich? They, they literally eat the rich. Although, keep, keep in mind, though, the Morlocks do grow food, which they provide to the Eloy to keep, you know, the, us, us, to keep the Eloy healthy and breeding. Yeah, well, you, you got you to feed, feed the cattle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered why they bother with that. It's like, couldn't we just skip a, a, skip a, a part of the, you know, skip a step and go just straight to eating our own goddamn food, you know? Well, I think I think that's part of it is like they they can't they they either can't or won't eat the, the fruits and veggies that they grow. Yeah, yeah. Well, who wants uh, to eat fruits and clearly, veggies? Yes, when you can chow down on some one percenter or the descendant of one, anyways. Yeah, but but I would I would consider Bucks and Eloy mutants. Uh, you know, they're they're both two d divergent species, at least within the context of science science fiction because they're they're two divergent species descended from from 20th century uh humans but they happen due to incremental mutations uh that were able to become successful in the the weird niches that they found themselves in well but they are artificial they're artificial niches created by crisis um uh you know the the future that uh, the time traveler goes to is only a few thousand years in the future if i remember at least millions of years in the future is he 
He's like, uh, actually, he's like, he's like tens or tens or twenties of thousands of years in the future. You remember? I'm looking at my research. Okay, so he travels. Uh, he travels to the year uh, eight hundred two thousand seven hundred one. That's enough to actually have evolution. That's almost enough for evolution. But again, it's sort of it's it's accelerated. Than, yeah, by extreme natural selection uh, situation, which eh, doesn't really count as. I suppose that counts as mutants. Is every because after all, every form of successful natural selection uh, is based off a mutation that either works or fails. So. Yeah, and just within the context of the story, we don't see any of the mutations that failed along that path. Yeah. Um, the thing about uh, mutants generally, I mean, er you saw everything's a mutant, um, technically speaking. Everything's a mutant. Uh, uh, <laughs> everything's a mutant um, uh, primordial ooze. If we'd only had a stable genome, we'd all have stayed, you know, primordial ooze at the beginning of time. Um, but. Um, uh, when we think about mutants in, uh, in, in post-apocalyptic uh, scenarios, um, they pull their tropes from fiction. The fictional tropes of mutants definitely feel like they go back to H.G. Wells's um, time machine. Oh, and also, you know, back to, you know, uh, well, before I, I go into that, um, I just also wanted to just let the audience know a little bit, like, how we came up with talking about the subject as well is... Um, yeah, I was talking to Scott uh, the other day about. I have a friend who uh, is just mind is just boggles his mind that I don't like that I don't care for superheroes. It's just, it's just not my superheroes are just not my thing. They've never been my thing. I didn't read superhero comics growing up. I read war comics. I read Weird War. I read GI Combat. All that kind of stuff. You know, in the seventies, I did not read superhero comics. This was never my thing. So, and he can't fathom it. And he's like, well. You like all this post-apocalyptic stuff with all the mutants. Mutants are just superheroes, you know, because you have the X-Men. They're just—it's just the same thing. Why don't you, you know, look, you know, um, what's that show on TV? Uh, heroes. They're all mutants. So why don't you like superheroes? I'm like, because it's not the same thing, you know. Wow. Yeah, because that's the only factor. It's <laughs> mutation. It's mutation. Uh so, so uh, I was thinking about that, and then I started talking to Scott about it, and they were like, hey. We've never talked about mutants as a t subject, so that's how we, we came on the subject. But um, uh, to, and then just to circle back, what I was going to say is then, but then go forward from H.G. Wells to like um, you know the, the beginning of the Atomic Age, you know the late forties, early fifties, with all with these movies, you know all the movies there were all like them with the giant ants because the radiation mutated them into giant, and all these movies that came out with you know, the fear of, you know, communism and, um, you know, the, 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 deadly, the deadly mantis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Radiation, well, the, you know, it made well, it. The deadly mantis was actually a prehistoric monster that got thawed. It wasn't actually mutated from uh, anything. Don't ruin everything, William. Remember, Godzilla was mutated by an atomic blast. Yeah. Sadly, tarantula was, was, was an agromegaly experiment gone badly, but. I guess, all right, Deadly, let's see, the Black Scorpion is also not radiation. I guess them are the only, them is the only nuclear one besides Godzilla that I can think of in the big monster department. 
Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, re I totally remember like I remember seeing them in the seventies, you know, with the ants and the sewers, and you know, because radiation made them big. So, um, and I'm trying uh, to think. Oh, 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 the Incredible Colossal Man. Oh, and the War of the Colossal Beast, the sequel. And yeah, th th those are those guys were those guys are radioactively created. Those are radiation problems. Uh, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman was she, was she like uh, a mutant from radiation as well or no? She, I thought it was aliens. I thought I thought I remember aliens. The aliens like expose her to some energy. That energy could be radiation, so she it, could be a mutant. Alien radiation. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly, the Incredible Colossal Man was a guy who's. What caught out on the range where they set off a weapon? Yep. Uh, some, yeah. some nuclear weapon, and they it's and the ants from them are absolutely because they're out of the Nevada test site or whatever. Um, Godzilla, same thing. At least the original version of Godzilla. I don't know how many reboots Godzilla has had from Toho. Well, usually the 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 idea that Godzilla is grown to great size by atomic mutation that's I think that's consistent over all incarnations of Godzilla. Yeah. Um, the last one where they were, the, the last fairly recent one with guys like Brian Cranston in it, and um, uh, they're nuking Godzilla on a regular basis. Isn't 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 our um, our tests of our, our our nuclear weapons tests out in the Pacific attempts to kill Godzilla? Yes, yes, they were. Fifties and sixties. Yep. So um, he's certainly nuke proof at this point, no matter what. Um, uh, as far as mutants go in film, I think my favorite um, mutant is um, is from the Doug and Bob McKenzie movie. Oh, uh, where they there's that there's that five minute film <laughs> at the beginning of the Doug and Bob McKenzie movie, Strange Brew, where they're where they're doing their version of Omega Man or something. <laughs> and so, society is uh, uh oh i can't remember the line make me an enemy of society Maybe. yes that was that was the line was fleshy headed mutant are you friend or foe no way radiation has made me an enemy of society <laughs> <laughs> first of all the line fleshy headed mutant is always that is that but, just trips off the tongue but that was uh i think that came out uh, 81, two, maybe, you know, but, yeah. prior, but prior to that, you know, I, I'm just trying to think about the development of stuff like that because we had, well, prior to Gamma World in 78, we had Metamorphosis Alpha in 76. So, and they had mutants then. So there was definitely, um, oh, oh, uh, who's our biggest, who's, uh, how can we forget, um, the guys under New York with the Alpha and Omega bomb? Oh yeah, beneath um, the planet of the apes. Yeah. Planet of the apes. The planet of the apes. My first, you know, encounters with you know uh, mutants. Um, so in so, fiction, as a kid. Oh yeah, so there's definitely, you know, seventy six. If they're putting mutants in this uh, science fiction game, there's definitely a, a history of it. Because well, then we have like like you said, uh, the planet of the apes of the mutants. Because you know, are the apes in planet of the apes mutants? You know, this, but just further down the road, you know, of evolution after they yeah, mutated. Good point. Um, there's also some books like we had, um, uh, start, uh, like the, some of the inspiration for a metamorphosis alpha oh, orphans of the sky, orphans of the sky, uh, yeah. not nonstop as well. 
and uh, oh god, I, we just talked about these other. I can't remember. Generation ships just seem to lead to mutants all the way down to Panda Pandorum. Okay, Pandorum. If you're on a slow-moving starship, you get mutants. That's just what you get. So there were several books. I'm trying to think. Uh, so there's those books. Um, I'm trying to think what. Well, but then you have things like uh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head where some of these were. Some early fiction like, um, well, well, like um, Andrew Norton, um, uh, Starman's Son, which was done. Uh, it might have been 60s, 70s. Um, no Night Without Stars was printed in 75. So there's mutants in this. There were, and Starman's Son came out before that. Um, uh, it was Hiro's Journey had mutants in it. Uh, there, there's, there's a, there's a oh, yeah, lot yeah. of a lot of cases of post-apocalyptic fiction. Hiro's yeah, Journey and the Unforsaken, the, the Unforsaken Hero, both. Those are super mutant stories. I mean, everybody has got some mutant quality to them. They can almost All be super. The they could be superheroes, but uh, yeah, well, let's, let's uh, not go there. Um, heck, there's a there's even a, a mutant, a small appearance of mutants in Canticle for Leibowitz. Yep. Um, at the end of the the super medieval chapter, the very first section of the book, um, there's a thing where. Uh, the bandits that set on the sort of principal character we've been following and murder him on the road, they're mutants. There's something about one of those, like like one of them is a conjoined twin or something, you know, or has two heads or something. They they bring that up in Canical for Leibowitz, but I don't remember those mutants later having any big part of the later chapters of Canical for Leibowitz. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just that one mention of it. Yeah, and there and there's and, and there's mutants just not in. I mean, there's mutants not just in post-apocalyptic fiction as well, uh, which you know, like uh, I think we talked about it. Like you know, look at things like um, the hills have eyes. You know, they're they're kind of you know those people were kind of mutants or chud things like that. You know, uh, so well, they certainly they certainly the, the the second the remake of Hills Has Eyes absolutely went with nuclear mutants. I mean, they're out again. On the Nevada test site, aren't they in the in the in the remake? I don't remember where they are in uh, the first one. If they're just inbred hillbillies, but well, I think in the in the first one, like I believe there is like a, a faded road sign that says just like hazardous area, keep out, like labeled U.S. Army or something. It implies that something must have gone there that involved the military, but whether it's like atomic testing or chemical weapons testing or who knows what, they never say. Okay. Okay. And what? And, uh, um, but yeah. I, no, go but, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, because um, I know you know. I'm, again, I'm trying to think back to like Scott said, like some of his first encounters with mutants were like probably like the Planet of the Apes. Um, so I definitely didn't read any of the fiction, um, like some of the fiction I didn't read. And started reading to like maybe you know early early '80s. Um, you know, I maybe encountered you know mutants. You know, I mean. You know, in science fiction, uh, Thundar was a big exposure to mutants. Oh, jeez, yeah. oh, um, um, you're right. Thundar yeah. is mutants all the way down. You know, that was like some of my some of my first early memories. That's kind of more when I really started ramping that up. 
What's some of your first, uh, Will, early memories, encounters of uh, mutants? Well, aside, aside from this island Earth, which I did see when I was a kid, and it really left a big impression on me. I think the first time I was ever really like aware of like the word mutant and the idea of mutation was actually probably a pretty bad example, which was uh, Thundercats, <laughs> which is still a pretty fun 1980s sci-fi fantasy show. But the main antagonists, the main MOOC antagonists were the mutants. And yep. But they weren't specifically mutated. They were just like... Because, you know, the whole thing, if you haven't seen it, the Thundercats are like these aliens who, like, they're humans, but they all have, like, subtle cat features, like skin that has, like, you know, leopard spots or, like, you know, a lion's mane, like, hair. But the mutants, they also... This are... is how you get... This is how you get furries. This is the first step <laughs> well, to one getting way, yeah. furries. Uh, but, the, but the mutants, who are, like, their main antagonists, they, like, they aren't, like, humans with subtle animal features... They are animals, there are animals with human features. So, like, even though like there's whole species of them, there's a reptile mutant group, a jackal mutant group, a vulture mutant group, but is there a monkey, are... is there a monkey one too? Oh, yeah, there was. There's like an albino ape one. Uh, interesting enough, called monkey, and um, where like they they look like animals who have been stretched into a human shape. So, like, so you could take the case that maybe you know, as as the the Thundercats evolved to be very, very humanoid. The mutants took a very different path, uh, possibly not an ideal one. But they're not from the same place because the mutants were on Earth. So I remember when I remember when Thundercats came out in 1986. So I was a senior in high school. Uh, but, so the mutants were from their own planet. They weren't from the Thundercat homeworld. But they were on Earth, and they all worked for Mumra, the Ever Living. So, uh, but I remember watching that because again, I was full on into. Anything, anything that had any kind of semblance, flavor of being apocalyptic, and oh, that was a post-apocalyptic show without a doubt. That planet Earth was ruined, and they had the technology. It's like because uh, so I definitely you know like I drew upon like you know even like Thundercats and a big influence I had, and it does have and it and mutants are in this is 2000 AD. Mm, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, Judge Dredd is um what you yeah, Judge Dredd gives a big helping, big healthy helping of mutants back in the very early eighties. Late seventies kinds. Late you got the whole kinds of mutants. You got the whole curse you got the whole cursed earth, everything there. So you had mutants in there. So that you know, I again I was reading the progs uh probably eighty mm, four, maybe I started reading because my local comic store used to get them in. So I was reading the 2080s, the progs. So Judge Dredd, the whole 2080 had such a, again, had a huge influence on my post-apocalyptic mindset because I, I, me and my friends drew so much uh, inspiration from that because Cursed Earth with mutants, Stronium Dog, even though it was civilized and they had this stuff, but still the mutants were on England. They were living in hovels. They were they had mutant powers. Again, I drew because Stronium Dog, you know, um, late seventies, early eighties, mutants uh, in in a, po a post apocalyptic world. So, two thousand AD it was it had a huge amount of uh, mutants in it. So that was that was I guess again that was a big influence for me and my friends for uh, source material to draw from for uh, you know Gamma World and stuff. Yeah, um, I want to point out that um, uh, so my early oh sorry go ahead uh, uh, maybe I'm jumping the gun because I'm I'm. I wanted to mention that one of my 
first places of realizing, oh, you know, you know, it sort of encounters the mutants. Besides, I guess the very first one was Planet of the Apes. And there was even a Planet of the Apes comic book that sort of rebooted the mutants to be something much different than they were uh, in uh, in the movies. In, in the comic books, they become very Morlock-like, uh, losing a lot of their their human shape. They become less anthropomorphic um, and also become sort of cyborgy with, you know, one hand that is a, a, a you know ridiculous two finger pincer claw because who wants to have all these digits for manipulation where you can just pinch things you know um, and all sorts of weird technology high tech crap in their in their world but um, I was going to say that uh, uh, back in the eighties uh, one of the two things that jumped out was um, mutant world was Richard Corbin's Mutant World. Oh, yeah? Yep. The comic book. Um, uh, with um, And I'm sort of forgetting the name of the main character, the typically bald for Richard Corbin, you know. Dim. Uh, they called Dim. him Dim. They called Dim. him Dim. Yeah. Uh, the typically bald and, uh, you know, overly exercised, overly gym rat <laughs> mutant. That is I, uh... Dim. It's, uh, it's on my shelf there, uh, Mutant World. I, I got that out of Heavy Metal. Back in the early right '80s, and I also, yeah. yeah, and I also had, and I, I have a picture of it. Is um, I they also sold a mutant world poster uh -huh. that, that I had hanging on my wall uh, back in 1985. Yeah, um, and uh, also from sort of that same period, a boy and his dog has some mutants in it. But that is, um, I'm not sure what the date on Boy and His Dog is. I'm actually trying to look that up right now. Are you talking about the, the movie or the novel? Uh, the novel. Harlan Ellison? Uh, and, the follow, and the horrible, horrible follow-up short story. I think, it was in um, the, I think it was in the 60s, I want to say. Yeah. Um, that, had, uh, that, that included giant spiders. That included the screamers, which were absolutely mutants. In fact, the screamers... So, I mean, from the description of the screamers in the novel, they sound like they are the inspiration for the glowing ghouls of Fallout, which is one of the great repositories of mutants currently available. Well, it looks like that um, book came out in 1969. Yeah, okay. I got, I got it. I was close. It was at the end of the era, but and also, but um, Gamma World Legion of Gold, uh, one section of the module had its uh, section where you're going to these uh, Fallout shelters. And they have a mutant creature in there called Screamers, you know, that were kind of melted, glowing people. So, which I think that was probably a riff yeah. from, from, uh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, there's not a lot of mutations in Boyna's Dog, but that's the two that, that, that jump out was the, the Screamers and the um, giant spiders. Uh, well, I've got, I've got uh, another two, and actually uh, piggybacking on on the eighties uh, and and heavy metal, uh, the uh, Ralph Bakshi movie Wizards. Oh yeah, how can we how can we not have mentioned that? I know yet. we've talked about that sh that before. That that's a good call, sir. Um, uh, that that film is again, it's mutants all the way down. Um, yeah, 
and and one of the one of the things that they talk about which i do i do like is that the the, the difficulties of mutant reproduction where you know the dark wolf has like his his brides and you know he's taught he's consulting with his his oracle surgeons about whether the child will be human or mutant and when they say mutant like the other ones like they implied that the other ones didn't survive be, because they were yeah. mutants. because yeah. not all mutations are positive well let me just let me just throw this out. Uh, speaking of mutations, um, oh, I'm going to forget the guy's name now that I'm bringing him up. But there's this uh, uh, crazy ex Boeing engineer guy, or 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 or, or uh, you know, skilled tool cut guy who you know one of these guys has been cutting aluminum for airplanes his whole career. Lives up in Seattle, and he is sort of this this crazy hoarder who has opened his house up. You can go and actually, at least you used to be able to go and visit the house. And it's just filled with nonsense. Um, amongst the crazy things he's collected, he's really big on pickled, pickled punks. Oh. Are you familiar with the term pickled? Okay. Yeah, we, 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 all, we, all, we all know what pickled punks are, sir. <laughs> uh, for the audience, pickled punks are um, embryos of various kinds, animal and human. That f that died and and they were stillborn because they're mutated or died soon afterwards and have been preserved in alcohol usually turn up in sideshows and well he would collect the pickled punks from defunct sideshows so there was no end of mutants in that department but one of the things he also had in his collection of wacky nonsense which include included you know bazookas and the giant minotaur sculpture from the Wizards of the Coast game store. Uh, up on University Avenue, and just you know, it, it's a little hoardery in that you can, there's like only a path through the house from like the bedroom to the kitchen and the bathroom. That's it. Everything else is filled with junk he's collected. Um, was he had a he had an old uh, journal from the turn of the 19th to 20th century from Washington State from some doctor, who the doctor had in this sort of you know. <laughs> Uh, pen and paper version of a spreadsheet it recorded people's births because he was there for all the births in the county you know the births and he would also record like when people died later in the book and say you know okay 50 years later 30 years. and he records cause of death you know farm accident uh, tractor or whatever or heart attack you know flu <laughs> from you know all the things that would kill you in the late 19th early 20th century one of the listings tractor one of the listings that always got me and always creeped me out was one listing that just because some some babies don't last long enough to get names. So one of them was listed, you know, you know, born uh, January third, nineteen oh one, died January third, nineteen oh one, like time of lifespan's like two minutes or something, you know. But cause of death is listed as monstrosity. And I, I never really knew whether uh, that meant it was just a technical term, like, you know, moron and idiot used to be technical terms. You know, was it a monstrosity because, you know, it, it died because of unsurvival mutations? Or was it a monster and they had to kill it within two minutes of it emerging, like the creature from uh, It Was It, it Lives? Was oh, that they the live. Old, the, no, 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 the, the oh, one with the lives. mutant baby. Oh yeah, yeah, it lives. Uh, oh, that was a great series. Yeah, um, the the very first one being the starkest and most dark uh, of the bunch to me. Um, but yes, the it where the where the 
the new baby mutant is born to survive a world that mankind has fucked up. You know, so they're able to survive on their own the moment they're out of the womb and hunt and kill, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, that's another mutant I should have remembered. And I remember being super creeped out as a kid watching the commercials for It Lives with the crib. All it was was the crib and a black background and the camera slowly closing in until you realize that the baby's hand has got but, claws on the end. But, but... Like, just like I'm going to bring up here for a second, but then I'm going to not post-apocalyptic mutants. Like, um, like, uh, true. But those are pre-apocalyptic mutants. Because ah. the idea behind the series is mankind's going to fuck up the world so bad with its pollution and its, you know, well, there's, and uh, toxins. So they're getting ahead of the curve. Well, since you're going down that route, uh, then we could definitely add this movie that I remember seeing commercials for in the late 70s, and it used to freak me out because I was still probably under 10, was there was a movie about a mutated bear called The Prophecy. Oh, Prophecy! Yes! Oh. Yeah. That's and a good had, mutant. As mutants go, it's a great mutant. The poster had like this like egg-shaped mutant embryo bear sack. thing in it. Yeah, it's the embryo sack with the <laughs> bear in it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that used to freak me out. Uh but again, it, it, it is just this hideous melty bear. I mean, it looks right out of Fallout. Oh yeah, it's yes, yes, it is. It, it absolutely is a hideous melty bear. That's exactly you're. They're stuck fighting melty bear. Absolutely, melty bear is that one of the Care Bears? But um... <laughs> it would be if I was right. It would be melty bear. So even though we have a lot of things that are mutants uh, that are not in the apocalypse. Uh, which there seems to be a lot of, you know, uh, just mutants. It's, it permeates not just the apocalypse. You know, they're in just regular good old-fashioned horror as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a really good source for horror. It's, uh, you know, mutants are a good source of that. And I liked Will's, you know, I forgot about, didn't mention uh, 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 Wizards. I mean, how could we, how could, how could, how could Will beat us to the punch on that, you know? Um, yeah, I, I'm ashamed. But he's right. It's it's all it's all about mutants. And then, even earlier than that, in the same vein, besides wizards, um, same time frame. Actually, I think it was late sixties. He started uh, von Bode, Cobalt sixty. Yeah, mm. are you that's familiar? A good call. You familiar? Well, you're familiar with von Bode, right? Uh, Cobalt sixty. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a the Cobalt sixty was a was a comic book series he did post apocalyptic, and I know there was some controversy because there were some there were some people who claimed that the character Necron ninety nine from Wizards was plagiarizing Cobalt ninety. Yep. Well, there's some certainly some similarities in the look, and there's also a big similarity into the in the poster, right? The poster for Wizards with Necron ninety nine with peace on the back of the saddle sitting on that creature that really does look like yeah cuz Cobalt's Cobalt 60 he, he Cobalt 60 would be sitting on um the two legged the, the rided animal that he had with the gun very very similar you know and then again i think he yeah. started i think he started writing that probably again late 60s early 70s as well uh Cobalt 60 yeah his comics and then i remember i cuz i remember first encountering it in probably heavy metal in like the early 80s like they serialized it in there so Pepe uh, Moreno hit some mutants uh, in his work oh yes in um, Generation Zero yeah, 
for sure. Yeah, there's the, there's the uh, New York that is all horrible and toxic. Yep. Uh, Pepe, Pepe and, Moreno. And uh, also, uh, he also does a great. Go ahead. Oh yeah, uh, not so much in uh, Rebel, but uh, but definitely in Generation Zero. He's another person I would have loved to yeah. see if I could talk to him and get him on the show to talk about his post-apocalyptic stuff. You know, from uh, some stuff from yeah. Zeppelin, uh, Generation Zero, uh, Rebel. Um, but I know he's busy. I, I follow him. He's busy right now doing like uh, he actually uh, was a video. He became like a video game designer as well. Um, for those of you who don't know Pepe Morano, uh, those names that we mentioned, Pepe Morano was first known. He got popularity by doing the first uh, digital, completely digitally drawn comic book, Digital Batman, in the early '90s. Uh, that's what he became famous for. Like people knew him for oh, Digital Batman or Digital Justice. It was called. Um, it was a Batman comic. Oh, all complete. We were, all we were completely... following him from Generation Zero. That's where I got him an epic. Oh no, no, so did I. So did I. But... But that's where he got like a more public name, and then he did um, uh, a video game called Beachhead. If you ever seen like an arcades, it's called Beachhead. Now he's doing working on another Beachhead. So um, I've seen him say he's going to be doing maybe some more stuff for Rebel. But any, anyway, so uh, yeah, Generation Zero is big, big for for uh, that. Cobalt sixty. Uh, oh God, there's just there's just so much there's just so much mutant stuff out. You know, Deathlands. You know, mutants and stickies. Well, Death, and... Deathlands is another one that got was super big on actual mutant mutants. I mean, yeah. um, you know, uh, the one thing that 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 I am sort of constantly rewarded by <laughs> from the internet is is horrible things. You can find all kinds of horrible <laughs> things on the internet. And uh, if you ever want to be just just have problems eating and sleeping for a while, for God's sakes, Google. Hideous face tumor. No, no. On Google. You know? No. And um, you will get things that make anything that came out of, you know, Stan Winston Studios or Rob Bottin look just bullshit. You know, I just, just not even remotely horrible. Um, <clears throat> so the idea that you're going to have these genetic disasters, hell, uh, Google Earth Effects Kazakhstan Soviet test site. You know, and you're going to come up with all these birth effects uh, from the area around Semipalantinsk, which was the, the, the Soviets' version of the Nevada test site, only, you know, less concerned with the citizens since they don't vote. Um, and there are some ghastly, ghastly birth effects, which, again, you know, comes under the heading of mutants um, nope. that have come nope. out of there. Uh, yeah, don't. No. Nope. I wouldn't, I wouldn't nope. recommend it. But the point is, but there's almost nothing that Holly, you know, there's a, when it comes to ugly and broken and nasty uh, birth effects that people can survive and eke out an existence despite their birth effects. Hell, remember all the mutated people uh, in Total Recall? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Who are living where the, the bad shielding that has resulted in midgets and guys with face tumors and triple boobs and whatever. Um uh, that you know, you know uh, those there's all kinds of things that people can live with and survive long enough to breed and make a second generation and you know that kind of thing. So uh, real life mutants are you know absolutely plausible. Uh, they can be you know hell we've got mutant birds all over you know the Chernobyl areas that have been walled off for forty years. 
uh, that have produced multiple generations in a shorter period of time. Um, the, uh, the, 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 I, I, what I want to, what I'm curious about here is a lot of our mutants are broken and nasty, but then there was always that thing where mutants produce superpowers. Hence your friend's connection to X-Men or whatever. The first guys I remember with superpowers are the mutants from Planet of the Apes because they're psychic, right? Yep. They're all psychic and they can make illusions and they can make you fight each other and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I don't know. Do you remember any other mutants that, 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 that are like, oh, that are better than us? The Turanians from Brave New, from, is it Brave New World? The Turakians? You mean no? Turanian, the Turanians from uh, Brave New World, the uh, Gene Roddenberry movie. What you were talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, it was one of the three. Uh, the one of the three pilots in the seventies. Gene Roddenberry yes. did these three movies: uh, uh, Brave New World, Planet Earth. Dylan, oh, no. Dylan Hunt were the main characters named Dylan Hunt, and they re they re. Boot him for Andromeda for Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. Oh, and actually, I found it. it's actually it was called Strange New World. Strange New World. Yeah. And it had a John Saxon. John, one of the John Saxon. Oh, John Saxon played the character twice, but there was another guy who played him in the first one. The first uh, one. In the very first one, but it's Dylan Hunt. And the first one has the Tyranians who are the mutants overlords, right? Because they had, because they were mutants. Because I think they had two belly buttons, if I remember correctly. Well, it was multiple <laughs> organs. Like she has multiple. She had more than one heart or something. But yeah, she does. Yes. Um, what's her name from the from the Polaroid commercials with James Garner? Well, she, the, she, I, I think she. Was, I think she was also in Star Trek. Uh, quite. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, as, as well. She. Uh, she. She gets. Uh, she gets all up in uh, Spock's pants in an episode where they get stuck in. Uh, uh, the yeah. ancient past of a world that that um, the library, Mister Axos sends them into the past through the, through the library. Oh yes, it's Hartley. It's Mary Marriott Hartley. I think it's Marriott Hartley. Could be. Yeah, and she's the she's the head bad mutant. Yeah, but yeah, and that was that was yeah the, the the trilogy of pilots that was a part of also included Genesis two and Planet Earth. Yep, I I have all Genesis two was the and. Strange New World has some of my favorite mutants. It has the Kriegs. Oh, the Kriegs are the mutants that, they, that show up at the beginning who are the guys who've got the wood gas burning engines in their vehicles. They look like orcs. And, um, they, they look, oh, they totally look or Klingons. <laughs> they, they look like orcs or Klingons. They're like proto-orcs or Klingons. And they have this whole militaristic, you know, society where they... Um, uh, they refer to everyone as soldier something or other. Instead of like comrade general, it's always, you know, soldier sergeant, you know, report. Uh, yes, soldier captain or soldier major, you know, whatever. But they have this kind of, you know, I don't know, not verbal tick, but way of speaking. So it's a, it's a definite throwback to the whole comrade major, comrade commissar you'd get from the Soviets, you know. Yeah, I, I have uh, all three of those on the, uh, on the DVD rack. But... Um... Yeah. But that's kind of the like uh, just a, a backtrack of what you're talking about. Uh, I totally lost. I totally lost my train of thought. Was I um, a train of thought? Well, uh, go go. You get, was, uh, so, uh, so something I did. I did want to bring up as long as we're talking about uh, mutants that have more advantages than disadvantages. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up New Jersey's own 
favorite superhero, the hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength, the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. He certainly has all everything you want in Oogle the Mock, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's he's <laughs> huge. He's super strong. He's nearly indestructible. He has a kind of like danger sense where he can sort of sense hostility or sense who has ill intent. Uh, and he's a de decently good guy. He's also ugly as hell and has strange dietary requirements. Like he actually has <laughs> to metabolize toxic chemicals <laughs> to get his full nutritional value. Uh, despite um, being not post-apocalyptic, um, yes, he counts as a super mutant. Um, well, if, 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 if we're going to go with uh, trauma films, I mean, you could talk about uh, Newcomb High. Don't they have yep. some mutants in Newcomb oh, High yeah. as well? Yes, yes, indeed they do. And uh, maybe... maybe and, and it's funny because... No, go ahead. Well, saying in the first Newcomb High, you know the mutant the mutations are caused by people smoking weed, which was grown in the runoff of a nuclear power plant. And then in Class of Newcomb High Two, the subhumanoid meltdown, the mutants are caused by genetic experimentation. Still not post-apocalyptic enough for my taste. Um, the first mutants I can remember with having more advantages and disadvantages, besides Planet of the Apes, is Gamma War. I mean, Gamma World was where, you know, your random mutation generation was to find out whether you could melt things with your eyes or whether you had alopecia or whether you were, you know, uh, a hemophiliac or whether you had extra limbs that you could control. Um, and, uh, and I, I always was hoping that someone would have extra limb that you can't control as a defect, but, you know. And, and that kind of gets to the crux of uh, kind of what we're talking about and what Scott was talking about earlier with, you know, trying to make us Google, you know, uh, face tumors is that <laughs> in the, in the, um, in the real world, mutants, mutations, um, aren't generally beneficial or fun or amusing. Okay. It's not like, Oh, look, I have super strength. It's like, Oh, look, I can't use my limbs because of the massive amount of tumors or the deformities. So, you know what, in reality, mutations yeah. aren't fun. That's why we're talking about it in the context of fiction and movies and games because that's when you can get all of the fun stuff like telepathy and radiation eyes and uh, you know super speed and strength and stuff like that you know which is kind of uh, where because you know they make it to where it's it's you know again fun I guess for lack of a better term you know to be well, a, to be a mutant the certain yeah and, and certainly in the fiction I'd be interested if anyone can pull something out. In the fiction, when mutation leads to defects, when mutation becomes a big laundry list of birth defects, um, a lot of times ugly equals evil in a lot of early, you know, sort of pulp visions of, of uh, what is a mutation. Ugly equals evil. If they've got, you know, uh, if they're hemophiliacs or they're, you know, uh, uh, albinos or they um, have other kinds of birth effects um, they're usually a problem you know and radiation has made me an enemy of society so to speak you know um, they end up being like uh, the 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 uh, like uh, Matthias's brotherhood in Omega Man you know although those weren't I guess technically I guess they're sort of mutants even if it is biologically created mutants but you know Mutants light, you know. Yeah, but um, I think that's 
why I like uh, the Toxic Avenger because that's a character where, in his, it's not it's not ugly equals evil. It's it's ugly equals powerful. Like his his ugliness kind of represents a strength so yeah. great his body can barely contain it. Yeah, um, I was certainly going to say that uh, Dim from uh, Mutant World uh, has some advantages. Um, you know, he he, he, yeah, he is super strong. He is all physical and non-zero mental from Corbin's mutant world. Well, there, there, um, there, there's, there's a reason for his mental state, which you will not reveal because that's a big spoiler. So that is a, that is the spoiler of the entire yeah. thing, frankly. Yeah. Um, uh, but, 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 um, but uh, that one, although there's, I don't remember a lot of superpowers. I remember from our mutants, but I do a lot of, remember a lot of weird appearances and messed up new biologies, so to speak, you know? Um, there were creatures that were, you know, had extra limbs or something like that, you know, or, or my favorite being the thing from the egg. Uh, oh, from yeah. The thing from the egg, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a Corbin special. <laughs> it really was. Um, that, that thing didn't seem to have any connection to, to terrestrial biology, but, you know, it's okay. It's a comic book. We'll, we'll still enjoy it. Um, and, and one of the, over my bookshelf. And one of the things that we one of the things that we talked about uh, pre-show, folks, was because um, again talking about Gamma World. Uh, you know, again Gamma World. You know, if you're mutants, because besides you know having you know mutant powers, you know if you have too many if you have too, if you have too many uh, defects, you, you know you could call a mulligan because it, you, you'd be a hopeless character, as they called it, at least in the earlier versions of it. Um, you know, uh, you know mutated animals, mutated plants. It's all about you know the the 50s era atomic age radiation fallout type, you know, uh, space age with rocket men type of future with mutations, how it was, you know, mutations made, you know, radiation made things big or powerful, things like that. Uh, one of the things we were talking about was, yeah, as we know, in Gamma World, they had uh, cryptic alliances. So this ties back into the whole thing about talking about superheroes. Now, there was a, an article in Dragon Magazine number 93 in the Aries section. There was an article called The New Brotherhoods. They created some new cryptic alliances. And one of the cryptic alliances is called Friends of Justice, or with parentheses, Crusaders. Friends of Justice were a bunch of mutants who found uh, old comic books in, in like comic stores. And they saw the superheroes as being mutants like themselves. So they started, you know, they formed their own cryptic alliance. You know, they started to, to join together to use their superpowers and become super friends, you know, because they call themselves the Crusaders. You know, like they're a group of superheroes trying to defend the weak and, you know, help, you know, help the helpless, you know, with their Truth, superpowers. Justice. Truth, justice, and the Maragon way, I guess. <laughs> no, truth, justice, and the mutant way. Okay. Um, they're sort of the opposite of the old Iron Society, which was uh, the other pack of sort of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in that scenario from Gamma World. Well, yeah, and their opposition was the, uh, you know, the um, um, Knights of Genetic Purity. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's something that I really wanted to Both. to talk about, which is when you get when you get fiction uh, with mutants, is that you you inevitably get uh, uh, anti mutant prejudice or anti human prejudice. Yeah, that's yeah. true, and that may be that may be uh, 
That's your metaphor when you want to socially comment, right? Um, even, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, God, what's, um, what the hell is the author's name? Uh, Norman Spinrads, um, The Iron Dream. Are you familiar with Norman Spinrads, The Iron Dream? I'm not, I'm familiar with him, but I'm not familiar with that particular uh, work. Norman Spinrad wrote a novel, which is supposedly from an alternate timeline where Hitler d gave up on art and tried to become a writer and eventually emigrated from Germany because he didn't like the way things were going, came to America and wrote pulp fiction in the, for, huh. for weird tales in the 20s and 30s and 40s and is now sort of up there with you know Heinlein and um, what's his name from Elron Hubbard and is is living a life like that. We don't get a Nazi Germany, but all his Nazi shit is in his fiction, and they give you this novel, which is written in Hitler, supposed to be written in Hitler's voice, where you read the novel sort of without commentary, and it's and it's the mutants are the stand-ins for the Jews, and you can smell it and. All of his creepy Hugo Boss black uniforms show up, and there's all this purifying human race. And at the end, or is like an interview. At the end of the novella, is an interview with you know elder statesman of science fiction Adolf Hitler, sitting around wow. being a vegan and not smoking, you know, and um, uh, talking about his fans and. And one of the things that the, the author talks about during the interview at the back is like, oh, it's so fun to see people cosplay with the uniforms and outfits from the novels, you know? <laughs> and it's... <laughs> yeah, and it was Norman Spinrad's giant fuck you to what he saw as a lot of the fascism in uh, 60s and 50s science fiction. You know, you think about like that fascist utopia in Starship Troopers, you know? And so he was unhappy with that. So he's he's written this giant screw you. And certainly in that, you know, he makes the point that uh, the mutants are the villains that you can hate without being a racist, you know, because they're not us. And so, ha, ha, see, I'm not a racist, you know. And um, But they are clearly the stand-in for the lesser, not quite human races, you know. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an uncomfortable book to read, to say the least. Um, but yes, in other stories, you know, uh, I think of um, Orphans of the Sky, where the pure people living in the center of the ship have these violent and nasty prejudices against the muties, which stands for both mutant and mutineers, who, uh, you know, tried to change the, the, the ship's course at some point. And... Um, yeah, they're, it's definitely a, a metaphor for, for race hatred, prejudice. So are you all uh, familiar uh, with the Vorkosigan saga? No. no. So it's 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 a, a series of interconnected space opera novels by uh, uh, Lois uh, McMaster Bujold. And they they all most of them center around this this uh, this guy from a feudal planet that has a lot of high technology called uh, Miles Vorkosigan. and the the planet's called Barriar, and it's a planet where they have due to its history they have a lot of anti mutant prejudice and Miles Vorkosigan is deformed uh, and so like there, there's a lot of it where he's always having to explain to people from his own planet no no I'm not a mutant. 
this is not a genetic deformity. This is a teratogenic deformity because when I was still a developing fetus, my mother got exposed to a bioweapon that breaks down calcium in your body. That's why I'm only four feet tall and I'm all bent up funny. And I don't want to call it a running gag, but that's something that like his political enemies are always referring to him as the mutie lord behind his back. Uh, and because the planet's feudal and the technology isn't evenly distributed, uh, it leads to some interesting things. There's a really neat story where Miles, you know, as the son of a count, there's a murder reported in this like little village in the mountains that's part of their land. And so Miles is sent out to investigate the murder. And he comes to find out that the murder is that a, a young woman gave birth to a child and the child had a cleft lip. And all the superstitious people living out in the mountains were like, oh, crap, that means it's a mutant. And everyone was trying to convince her to kill the baby. And the baby was, in fact, the one who died, but she doesn't know who who did it. And it's it's really and at the same time, you know, Miles, who's had a big galactic education, is always trying to explain to everybody, you know, it's a child with a cleft palate. That's not a mutation. That's a recessive gene. I can guarantee half of you have this gene. You're overreacting. Yeah. You know, we we have a surgery that will correct this. I will pay for the surgery the next time a baby's born with this. And it's it's really neat to see that kind of that play out in that science fiction context. That's cool. Uh, I was uh, I've never heard of that series. No, I was. Uh, but while you're while you were talking about it, it reminded me suddenly of uh, Michael Moorcock's. Um, oh yeah, Duel in the Skull series or or the Rune Staff. Series, the whole Dorian Hawkmoon. I've also heard it called Hawkmoon. Oh, Hawkmoon! I know Hawkmoon. Yeah, yeah. Which is set in a post-apocalyptic, you know, f uh, future that is like a fantasy setting, where much like wizards in some cases, where there's all this leftover high tech, which is super high tech. I mean, it's almost magic-like. It's almost hard for us to identify it as technology. Um, and you've got the with the dark empire of Grand Breton, and you've got the, the what they call them, the the the, the Asia communists, you know, in the east that are like, you know, and there's mutant monsters all over the place. Um, that one is um, that one is another one that mixes. There's mutants to beat the band in that one, um, which is how he gets or justifies his fantasy setting by setting it in the future after the nuclear war has created. Stand-ins for dragons and trolls and orcs. Well, also, kind of, that reminds me of um, uh, the Shannara series. Because apparently, yeah. and I, I read the, the first three, painfully read the, the Shannara books back in the 80s. Yeah. And because uh, I read the first one. And unfortunately, I had, I had, back then, I was really more of a completist than I am now. So I had to finish the series. And I, I, I had, it was difficult because I didn't really like yeah. it. Um, now I read that, but now there's this whole. I think MTV has uh, the Shannara Chronicles, and apparently it yeah. sets it as a post-apocalyptic yeah. setting. Um, I don't remember that from the first. I book. don't remember that from the books. Yeah, actually, I read sort of Shannara, and I have no idea where this is. I, I can talk about that because a friend of mine in high school was really into the Shannara books. It is a post-apocalyptic world, and elves and trolls and dwarves are descended from humans. They just mutated in that way. But it's just that apparently it's not until like the fifth book in the series 
that it's it's sort of flat out stated this is post-apocalyptic oh. earth and everyone's descended from pre-apocalyptic humans oh so okay. whether that was always intended or if that was a retcon that is that is part of the series okay well that, that right. makes well, sense because yeah. i only read up to the third one that i couldn't i couldn't stomach it anymore so <laughs> oh something i wanted to bring up because we, we had mentioned mutant animals there's two books i love to bring up when talking about uh mutation uh, so I don't know if you Dixon? if you all know uh, Dougal Dixon. Dougal Dixon, all three books right on the shelf. Oh, so you know what I'm probably going to bring out. Uh, so we bring got it, uh, bring it. Yeah, the Afterman, the Zoology of the Future, and see, it's a book of speculative evolution where he does these like naturalist sketches of you know things that things we have today might evolve uh, in, and and part of the concept is well, there's no humans, so we'll just we'll just skip that and get straight to the cool mutated animals. And it's full of just some awesome stuff. I'm trying to find, oh, here we go. I'm in the Arctic section. And like, so like whales are gone. And so penguins evolve and mutate to fill the niche by whales. That's a giant penguin. Yeah, uh, which filter feeds. Yeah, which they filter feed. They stuff in their beak and like spray it through like filters in their giant beak. But even more awesome. Oh, wait, I got to show the, the Night Stalker. Uh, the oh, is that the bat? Yeah, it's it's evolved from a bat. It's lost the ability to fly, but don't worry, it more than compensates for the ability to fly with its uh with its new mutations. Let me find this page reference. It's what it was. In, I just looked in there recently. It's towards the back because I was looking it up. Yeah, all the all specifically the looking it up. Cool, crazy stuff is in the back. So, oh wait, I think I'm getting closer. Oh, here we go. Yeah, the Night Stalker. So it's a bat. It's lost the ability to fly, and it runs across the ground on its front legs and grabs its prey with its back legs. That's and actually, and if you course, want to see something, and no eyes, so it's all sonar based. Like, it's, oh yeah, it's all sonar based. Like. So uh, uh, like expedition, like um, uh, what's his oh yeah, Barlow's expedition. Yeah, and and if you want a treat, so apparently Dougal Dixon and his books are huge in Japan. Uh, TV Tokyo, I think it was, uh, it was one of the Japanese networks. They did a a documentary about his his like books on speculative evolution. And what's really cool is it includes animatronic and stop motion recreations of his creatures in their environment. Now, so oh, they're like you yeah, see a night stalker running around, and you do see that weird flower bat like eating things. Uh, but then there was this follow up man anthropology of the future where it's all about what humans evolve into after an apocalypse. Yes, and it is, it is kind of an apocalypse, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and a set and, and not to give too much away, but a second apocalypse happens at the end. The last entry in the book is another apocalyptic event. Uh, but I want to. There's one. There's some really cool nightmare fuel in here, in addition to the other events. But I always think of this when I think of post-apocalyptic mutants, and when I run post-apocalyptic RPGs, I always try to include something like this. So this giant wrinkly guy with the blubber and those things clinging to his body, those are both humans. Uh, this is a creature. Uh, so one group of humans evolved into these big sort of lumbering things with lots of body fat to store moisture and food for the hard seasons. And the other ones evolved from these like humans who became all spindly and wild and they eventually became symbiotes. 
uh, the big blubbery things just walk through the wasteland and the little things cling to it, biting into its folds and drinking its blood and fat. But if another predator ever threatens the big bulky human, they detach from its body and slash at them with their sharp hook hands. Uh, it's terrifying, but I love it. I love it that it's two different mutated human that work together. Yeah. Now they, the, the thing about, um, that one is that, uh, and they are, they are nightmare fuel. Uh, some of it is like, uh, late development cybernetic humans then, you know, eventually develop biotech to do what machines can do. The, 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 the high tech and then the tick, um, with grafting extra limbs, grafting extra organs onto them. Um, oh yeah, that's the uh, the high tech right there. Yeah, in the little what do they call it? The, they 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 call the the life support system like the cradle or something that they are. Yeah, it's called yes, yeah, called the cradle, and you have to link your cradles up if you want to reproduce. Yeah, and um, so that's, that's like that that's no fun. But later, when the humans who went into space come back and they're completely unrecognizable from other humans. Oh, yeah. Just, that... They have been force evolved and mutated deliberately to live and work in space. That, that's, um, kind of, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's on Jerry. the cover. These are both humans that have been savagely genetically engineered. That, that reminds me of uh, in an issue of Weird War in the 70s. There was this one story about post up. There was a post apocalyptic Earth, and these aliens uh, land back on Earth and start helping uh, all the because the, the, the humans are still living in like you know ruins and not evolving, and they start helping them out to develop agriculture and start moving along with their technology. Like these these tall kind of gray greenish you know aliens, um, and they're helping them out. And over time, you know, as the as, as the humans are getting all this stuff to like, hey, what aren't these guys giving us? Fuck them, you know? And, you know, of course, you know, uh, it's a pretty typical trope. You know, it's like, oh, well, if somebody comes to help us. They must have more. Let's get, let's take what they have, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. So because they're like, they're aliens and they're holding it from this. Screw them. So they wind up attacking them and killing them all off. And uh, they accidentally wind up, you know, destroying the world for good. But before that happens, they find out like there's some kind of, uh, his, you know, history or archive tape plays. It shows that the people that they just killed were uh, descendants uh, of from Earth that originally left uh, Earth and a spaceship, but there was leaks in in radiation in the ship, and they eventually evolved and mutated and changed into this whole different species. You know, so they came back to help them, but they were like devolved. They were you know descendants from the same people. You know, so it just it, it kind of reminded yeah. me uh, of that. And, uh, well, just to, just to throw just to throw the weirdness on Doodle Dickman's uh, Man After Man, the humans who return to Earth millions of years later do not recognize the Earth as their point of origin. They they have been gone so long they absolutely do not recognize the Earth as their point of origin. They merely recognize they see it as just another world to exploit. Yeah. And yeah, and that's your second apocalypse, if I remember correctly. They just yeah, it, yeah, it implies they just they're just going to strip the planet bare. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when you were talking about um, the the generation shifts of mutants, it reminded me of another book. Uh, I, I feel I looked up because I couldn't remember who did it. Was uh, 
It's a book called Nonstop or Starship by Brian Aldiss. Yes. You're familiar with that? It was originally published as um, Nonstop and then later it's called Starship. Um, it, it takes you on this. It's a generational ship. It's like you're on this ship, you know, the whole time. And there's like this one guy who it's like, it's like a ship with compartments, but things are overgrown. Like there's vegetation everywhere. Again, the typical generation ship thing, but there's this one guy there who's a little bit, the main character is like a little bit off from everybody else. Like he's a little bit slower, you know, like there's something wrong with him. And they kind of feel pity for him, you know, cause he's a little bit bigger, a little bit, uh, slower. But it winds up, you know, uh, the hook winds up being that um, it's like 23 generations of people have passed on this ship. And it actually winds up being that the ship is around Earth and um, they've evolved. They mutated and evolved to this race of beings that were smaller and uh, live like their lives are like four times faster than normal humans like they move like they move faster their lifespans are shorter because everything's so accelerated because they've you know mutated into this other race of uh of people and they're you know and they're you know we're you know uh they're they send in people to like you know fix the ship to keep them alive and explore them you know that's what the guy is like a regular human so that he's like slow to them so it's again another another mutational uh type situation of a generation ship over generation after generation, uh, you know, because again, like we said, a lot of times mutation turns into evolution and it changes, you know, they're not necessarily hideous super mutants anymore. They just turn into a whole different species, but it was prompted from mutation. Mutation caused it and it maybe wasn't beneficial at first, but then it becomes a benefit and you get this whole new species of people. You know, a race of be- people, races, creatures, whatever you want, you know, whatever the case may be. Got a question for everybody in the panel. Um, first of all, everyone's pretty familiar with Gamma World. Uh, do you have a favorite Gamma World mutant? I don't. Are, are, I'm talking about like of, like of their mutant monsters. Yeah, of the, the sort of the yeah, and their bestiary, as it were. I think I think mine would have to be the the giant moth that emits radiation, and that's how it hunts its prey. It just follows you, just follows you at a nice distance until the radiation sickness eventually kills you. Then it comes down and eats you, and it prefers to eat contaminated meat anyway. That's that's a good one. I don't remember what that uh, what that creature was called, but that's that's a good one, Mister Wallace. Uh, I kind of like the cheesy one. Um... Uh, what do they call it? Yixil, I think it is. It's like the giant, like, it's kind of like part, like, bird, part lion type creature. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it it eats synthetic fiber is its, is its source. So, like, it would, like, you know, attack you just to eat your clothes. Or you could trade with it. Like, it finds things, and you can, like, people will trade, like, clothes like you know synthetic ancient clothes for like you know whatever junk it finds weapons and things like that you know um now i i, I could probably tell you what uh what uh, scott's favorite one is or least favorite one is well go ahead uh fire away is it the is it the the hoops the giant bunny rabbits that turn metal into rubber oh, no. <laughs> Now, every, I was on board until the metal into rubber. I got it, you know, I, I'm all in favor of watership down with high-powered rifles and blasters. That's fine. I can go with that. But the metal into rubber mutation, what the fuck, what the fucking fuck, really? It's, sir, um, it, it's Gamma World. 
Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, that would be one of the things that I just like snipped out of my yeah. old story right off the bat. I'm torn because I love the surfs because the surfs reminded me of the creeks from uh, Brave New World or Strange New World. Um, they definitely had that smell about them. Large, organized, militaristic clans that use, that gather up the remnants of the indicia of authority and military authority. So they're wearing bits and pieces of old military uniforms and they organize for conquest. They're a bit orky, I suppose. But I remember them being super high powered. It's like you, as a player, you might be able to take out one surf on a one-to-one fight, but holy crap, if there's a platoon of them, you just run for your life. Um, the uh, the other mutant that I would have thrown out that I thought always was hilarious was the um, the giant one-eyed bat that's really fungus. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> you know that was hilarious, but I you know I love the fucking cactus mount. Remember the remember the uh, there there's yep. a there's a walking plant that is a cactus, like one of those tall. What do they call them? Saguaro? Uh, tall cactuses? Yeah. It's like, it's descended from the Saguaro cactus, but it's been turned into a domesticated mount. You just have to use a specialized saddle to, to, to get on top of it and ride it around the Southwest. So the idea of a bunch of mutant Mexican banditos riding in, you know, and being all budges, we don't need no stinking budges. Mounted on these fucking cactus monsters was something that I was always sorry I never got an opportunity. Los banditos mutantos, you know. I'm always sorry I never got to do that. Are you familiar with Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars? See, si. Yes, las, si. we are los banditos mutantes. Oh, that's Yeah, so exactly. Awesome. When I when I ran into that on Sparks Nevada, I was like, oh, man, they beat me to it. But they didn't have the the, the Soroa cactus mount, so they it's probably the Soroa cactus mount. It's my just favorite batshit crazy mutation in Gamma. Oh, and I look I looked it up. the The radioactive moth in Gamma World is called the Blosh. The Blosh. And okay. and uh, and what about what about the clothing eating uh, uh, lion creature? What I was right, it was like Yixil or something like that. There's an illustration of it in first edition. Uh, if I remember correctly, because I figured since you were already kind of in there, well, you know, figure I'll it out. I, can find. I guess. Well, I guess I can always go over to the back to the shelf and just kind of, you know, take out a rule book. But uh, yeah, really, I should have had them piled next to me for this, for this episode. Yeah, they're 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 out they're out of uh, uh, they're almost there. They're just uh, they're just within reach. If only you had a mutant a mutant arm that would be that was longer, you could reach them. Yeah. I could. That's something you need to evolve and quickly. Exactly. Uh, and quickly. What was the creatures from... Uh, oh, Yexil. Uh, it's the Yexil. Yexil. I was close. I was, I was, you know, I was in the ballpark. <laughs> but... Uh, what was the creature from uh, uh, from the original radio series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that whose genetics were so unstable that when they... Because they, they, you, you said you must you can't reach that book if you should evolve the arm quicker. <laughs> You know, they would constantly evolve into something that they needed. So if they if they weren't if their arm wasn't long enough to reach the cup of tea they wanted, they would just evolve into something with longer arms, but which might not be able to drink tea, which apparently made them feel very <laughs> insecure and caused them to to express their insecurity in the form of military conquest. So they're one of the most aggressively militaristic species on the on, in the galaxy. 
Kind of, kind of reminds me of the creatine from Doctor Who. Don't remember them at all. Don't remember. Oh them well, they, they were they were these aliens who would their their stick was if they found useful genes in another species, they would just incorporate it into themselves through. It was unclear whether it was a natural ability or genetic engineering, but they would do this constantly over generations, so that like in a hundred like after a few generations they looked nothing like what they used to be so like their forms were constantly changing as they as they added new genes but then got rid of other genes they decided they didn't need anymore and on the same point of favorite mutants everyone here is familiar with the fallout series mm, yep what is what is your favorite fallout mutants because because fallout really brings the mutants they really Just do just for the sheer beautiful strangeness of it, that one mutant who is like turning into a tree, and like when you see him in the first <laughs> in the first Fallout, he's got like little sticks and roots coming out of him. But in like one of the later series, he is just flat out a giant tree with his old face sticking up. Beg begging to die. Yeah, it didn't work out for him. No, no, it didn't. Um, yeah, I remember it. It's a, is it Howard? I can't remember the yeah. He starts off as a ghoul. Um, that was a weirdly tragic story that they let play out over what three different games or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the name was Harold. 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 Yeah. Okay. What about you, Mister Wallace? Oh God, I'd have to really uh, think about that. You know, because there's so there's so many mutants. In that game, it's just it's it's insane, you know. I just I just gotta think yeah. just just for the pure, um, well, like for pure annoyance, I think one of my favorites is mole rats because they're just so freaking annoying, you know, because they're just always popping up everywhere. And, and everywhere, you know. But if I had to go for you know sheer brutality, you know, is you know the death claws because it, it's just it's just a it's just a non-stop you know, like death claw it's a it's a it's just a non it's a killing machine and like that's all it's designed for you know it's uh it's ev evolution you know because you know um the yeah. uh i mean i like i like the super mutants insofar as um i mean they're they're, they're sort of your kind of standard super soldier you know everything's been you know modified to be a, a, a bay orders and be extra durable um, they are hilarious if you can, you know, cloak up with one of the uh, invisibility options and get up close and listen to the banter between them. Um, yeah. That is some of the funniest shit that's ever been written. It is the one where the one mutant's going, you know, about how much I hate humans, stupid humans. And then there's the one that gets like, think I was a human. Me think I was a human woman. You know, I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> Um, why you talk so much? You talk like human, stupid. Um, those are kind of hilarious. Um, uh, certainly I love the, the scorpions because of the, um, the rad scorpions because of, uh, Jan Michael Vincent facing off with them in Damnation Alley, which gave uh -huh. us giant stop motion scorpions and carnivorous cockroaches that, um, uh, that he, Captain Terrell, I'm suddenly forgetting the name of the African-American actor who was Captain Terrell in Wrath of Khan and, uh, and was the, the, the Jan Michael Vincent's sidekick. Is it Paul? Oh, my, oh God, my gosh. I forgot his name. Uh, um, it is not the same. It might be the same guy 
who, um, uh, you know, something when the walls fell and and, and does Paul that. Winfield. It's Paul Winfield. Paul yeah, Winfield. Yeah, it's Paul Winfield. It's Paul Winfield gets eaten by giant cockroaches, which I thought was a shame. Um, He's a good actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, but um, there's, so there's that. But again, uh, uh, for for Fallout, um, I gotta tell you, I, I you know I think the thing that it was actually one of my among my favorite, my most shocking mutant was when they upgraded the ghouls. And, uh, the, you know, there's that first time you upgrade the ghouls to uh, Reavers or whatever. And I'm like, oh, ghoul, I'll just shoot him in the back of the head like I've shot every other ghoul in the back of the head. And oh, all I uh, did was attention. Uh, point Lookout. I think they do it in Point Lookout, right? Oh, yeah. The Point Lookout, the Point, yeah, the point Lookout. Um, had the Reavers, right? The swamp Folk. Yeah, it's, that's where they first show up. Um, the Point Lookout Swamp Folk were one of my all-time favorite mutants. And uh, because they just had the weird look, they didn't necessarily have any super special abilities or anything. But I really loved, I really loved the trogs. I love the trogs from the pit. Um, they're one of my favorite mutants because playing the game, they were the first time that somebody built a new um, architecture to hang a skin on, right? They moved different than any other mutant in the game up to that point. And since then, they've used the Trog architecture to create other characters for the game. But, um, you know, the, the, the Swamp Folk were just built on super mutant structure, you know, with a yeah. new skin. But the, when the Trog showed up and they, they moved on all fours, and yeah, that was, they had a whole different system of moving. It was even different from the, uh, the, the Feral Ghouls. That was really cool. They were probably my favorite mutant because they were a big surprise in the game. All right, folks, we're going to uh, wrap it up this point because we've gone way, 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 way over as usual. So mutants are awesome. They are. They are. But you know what? Uh, you know, some people have to work in the morning. But um, <laughs> so uh, that's going to be it for tonight, folks. We talked a lot about mutants, and hopefully, you didn't turn into a mutant from listening to our mutant conversation. Oh, can I so, plug something before I go? Oh, absolutely. Yes, Will. Absolutely. Yes. Please right. do. So, uh, just just to help establish my mutant bona fides, uh, I have written an RPG supplement about mutants. If you go to drivethroughrpg.com, there's a book, The Mutant Race. It is a mini player's guide for mutants uh, written for the Pathfinder rule set. Uh, but it stats up mutants as a race you can make playable characters out of. Uh, it has a, a table of 20 advantageous mutations and a, another table of eight uh, disadvantageous mutations. It gives you some new different mutation options. Uh, it, it applies to post-apocalyptic settings, wild magic settings, genetic engineering, run amok settings. And it was just really fun to do. There's a lot of fun, uh, uh, maybe a lot of fun uh, pop culture references hidden throughout the book. And also, I didn't just write it; I illustrated it. It's got a lot of these fun, uh, fun mutant cartoons that I put in there. So look yes. for uh, the, the mutant race on DriveThroughRPG.com for Pathfinder. It's uh, yeah, because uh, if nobody's ever seen Will's art, Will definitely has a definitely has a good flair uh, for that. Uh, Actually, do you, uh, want, do you want to see it? I can do a screen share. Uh, yeah, quickly. Please Let's do. do because, like, for those who... Oh, let me uh, focus on you there. All righty. So, let me see. Uh, so, do you see... Uh, so, this is the cover. It's got the uh, the American Gothic with mutants with the Alpha and Omega bomb. 
uh, let's see, the uh, first first big illustration, that's one of me, example, Mutants, a good post-apocalyptic uh, version. Uh, let me see. Th this one, I think, this, uh, this was going to be my favorite. Uh, wow, rule! That's your rule thirty-four mutants. <laughs> well, she she likes she likes corsets, but she also likes beating people to death with traffic signs. <laughs> uh, and oh yeah, th this this was a uh, th there's a reference to to the book's editor in here, uh, malformed Mike's menu of mutant meat, uh, which is a fun shack. But I do want to show you my favorite uh, my favorite mutant from the book. It's this guy, the three legged mutant who likes to run. I think I had the most fun coming up with that design. <laughs> And for those of you who are listening, a... for those of you who are listening to the audio later, you don't get to see this. But uh, if you again, if you go to Drive Through RPG and you look up the Mutant Race, now, Will, did you just publish this under uh, your own name or your own uh, kettle of fish, or was it under uh, the, uh, the Infinity? Or this is published. Uh, this is published by Skirmisher Publishing LLC. That was one of their Pathfinder books. Uh, I, I do plan to do something uh, with mutants with Kettlefish Productions, although it's probably more likely to be a, a mutant, a uh, post-apocalyptic LARP than a full-on source book. Although I have read through Starfinder, and I do definitely want to do some mutation rules for Starfinder. Cool. So again, uh, the the mutant the mutant race. Yep, the mutant race by William T. Thrasher, Drive Through RPG, and uh, again, you know, and again for the people who can't see it, you won't be able to see it. But here's uh, some of the illustrations on the "Are You a Mutant?" that Will did. Here's a little bit of his uh, "Boy and His Dog" reference, yeah. and you know, I was about to say, and uh, Survivor, so Wasteland Survivor. Wasteland Survivor. So again, uh, the for so if you're inclined, folks, to argue a mutant is on Drive Through Cards, which is which is the uh, I'll just drop it over the floor. Is the same company who it's a you know print on demand. Uh, it's not you know uh, cards. Uh, Dagongames.com. So you can find it there if you want to give Will and I some support, as well as give Will some support by uh, checking out um, the mutant I, race. I hope you're. I hope your ad shows as many of those cards as you can get away with because that, I got to admit, when you first mentioned it, it's like, mm, are you a mutant, are you a werewolf, whatever. And then you start showing me the art, and I'm like, nope, I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm serious. The artwork really sold it for me. I'm glad you like it, man. Yeah. All right, so cool. So thanks, Will. And uh, so, again, uh, folks, we talked about mutants this, uh, this week. So, you know, uh I think we covered a lot, and there's still a lot we probably didn't even didn't even talk about there. But uh, it's a fun subject, and maybe we'll come back to it again another time. So uh, again, Will, thank you for uh, joining us this week. Uh, we haven't had John in a while, so I wanted to get you back on the show. Thank uh, you. We'll uh, probably call you back in because um, we're going to be doing a another uh, a new format of show every once in a while called Off Topic. So. We're just going to basically, because we tend to go off topic here. So we're just going to have a show where the topic is off topic. We're not going to have a specific agenda. We're just going to talk about apocalyptic stuff. could be anything you want. It's, it's not going to make the other, focus, other shows any more focused. That's yeah. not going to help that. But... <laughs> Nope, but it's definitely gonna be something. It's gonna be like you know, just kind of like a round robin, having people just you know discussing you know, uh, you know, the apocalypse, you know, and, and the stuff that interests us related to it. We'll play to our strengths, which is going off topic. Going off topic, yeah, and we're not gonna do it all the time, but you know, it's gonna be one that we'll do every once in a while, just to you know, 
kind of you know uh, you know just get just get a general conversation going uh, about the subject matter itself. You know, get invite some friends of the apocalypse on. You know, maybe you know like we do sometimes we'll get some fans on as well as some of our regular guests. You know, we we'll just all sit around and just you know just have a little talk talk about the apocalypse. So again, thanks, thanks. for coming on. I'll let you know when we have that uh, you know coming up. We'll see if we could sneak in one of those as well because. Uh, um, like I said, you, you're, you're always good for, uh, bring a lot of good stuff to the table. So we always appreciate that. And, uh, and again, thank you, Scott, for your time as always You're I know you're a busy man, even busier than, you know, busier than me. Not that I'm that busy, but busy enough. So folks, that's it for this week. Uh, our subject was mutants, uh, next show. I'm not sure what that's going to be yet, but again, me and Scott always have something in the hopper. Um, Try to get something in within the next, you know, uh, within the next 30 days, we'll try to get something because, you know, we did a show about a month ago. So, um, you know, we just kind of, you know, started getting back in the groove. So uh, once a month is pretty good so far. We'll try to see if we could get it back up to every two, three weeks again. But, uh, you know, we've talked about doing maybe Train to Busan. You know, we've also talked, you know, we still have to do um, uh, Dust. You know, once when, when, when Scott finishes that, we'll do Dust. Um, so there's a lot, you know, a lot of different stuff we could possibly come up with. And as, uh, we know, you will know. So again, folks, uh, thank you for your time with us. And remember if you, um, enjoy the show and you're watching on YouTube, if you haven't su subscribed to the channel yet, go ahead. And I believe it's, uh, I don't know, I'm it's probably down below somewhere to subscribe to the YouTube channel and to keep apprised of everything that's going on with the podcast. My best suggestion is to go to our blog, podcast.groundzero.com, and uh, you know set up with either your RSS feed or uh, you can subscribe by email. Uh, it's right there over on the right, uh, the right column. Um, just put your email address in, and anytime there's a new post, because uh, you, uh, we always appreciate if you would follow us on Facebook and YouTube, but with the way they've been changing their algorithms so much lately, there's probably a chance that you probably won't see our posts um, cause you know, we don't post a huge amount and, you know, we're, I don't know, a business wherever, you know, we're not your friends as they, you know, they're trying to change their algorithms too. So you might not, you might miss our stuff. So the best way to be up to date is just, uh, subscribe by email to the, uh, to the channel. Uh, so anytime I put a new post on the blog, which posts all the social media, You'll get it in your inbox. You can click on it. It's going to take you right to the blog. You can see what's going on, whether it's uh, I posted an audio, I posted something interesting, a new show coming up. So that's probably the best way to do it. Second way, probably just the, if you like watching the videos on the YouTube channel, subscribe to that and come back, check it out. Or if you're a, one of our followers who just likes listening to the audio, um, you can, again, get to the audio on the blog when I post it and download to your computer to put on your favorite uh, um, you know, uh, audio player whether it's your phone or an mp3 player um if you're an itunes subscriber you can subscribe to us on itunes and then you'll, you'll be up to date every time we do at least the audio so uh however you want to do it folks but i'm just trying to give you some uh, good advice on how to uh keep up with us and again always uh thank you for your time here and uh, we're gonna wrap it up so uh thank you folks we'll see you in the wastelands <laughs>